Go ahead and please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1, page 1727 in the church Bibles here. Page 1727. Subject today is we're going to be praising God for the living hope we have because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the text here we're going to be looking at is verses 3 through 9 of 1 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read all these verses and then we'll look, at, uh, look to the Lord for help in understanding this passage. 1 Peter 1 beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's, that's the focus there um, because of his resurrection, we have been given a new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's pray. Father, for those of us who have uh, experienced this new birth, remind us again and again, it is because of your great mercy. It is you who has enabled us to experience this new birth. And that because of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ from the dead. Thank you for this living hope. I pray that you will strengthen each and every heart that is here, that belongs to you, to grow in our understanding and in our coming to grips with this living hope that we have and how that should affect our daily lives. And for those who don't have this living hope yet, but they're putting their hope in so many other things that will perish I pray that today would be the day they would experience your great mercy and experience a new birth into that living hope. And they too might join us in realizing this life is temporary. This is not our best life. It's yet to come. And with that hope, they too might confidently face the challenges of this life. Please work these truths in our hearts. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In 1965 was the year. A young man woke up from his sleep with a melody buzzing in his head. Melody like he never experienced before. Immediately he went to his piano and he played the entire song that he had in his mind. Everything was there while it was fresh in his memory. He played the tune and he knew the lyrics had to be written later. But the first title that he gave to that song was the title Scrambled Eggs. That was the title. But later he changed his mind and he renamed the song and also renamed the words. He finally recorded that song playing a simple acoustic guitar just by himself and was backed up by a string quartet sending shock waves throughout the music world because this was completely new and different. In fact, someone in the recent years said he got it then that was, was too early for the world to receive it at that time. This one little song touched the world like no other, continues to do so because of the message of the song. It touches people in a special way. In fact, this song the young man wrote has become the most recorded songs of all time with over 4,000 different versions of the song that has been sung by the most famous vocalists of the world. Millions upon millions have purchased this song and listened to it in its various arrangements and many know the words. So what did this man write about that has connected the world for over half a century? I'll let you decide. Here are the opening words which reveal his hurt, sorrow, trouble, vulnerability and the concern over the brevity of this life. You, some of you already know what the song is and as I uh, look, uh, read the lyrics, you're gonna know what this song is if you didn't know earlier. Yesterday all my troubles seem so far away. Now it looks as though they're here to stay. Oh, I believe in yesterday. Suddenly I'm not half the man I used to be. There's a shadow hanging over me. Oh, yesterday came suddenly. You know the writer of this song, Paul McCartney? And he ended up titling this song as Yesterday because his, heart, his heart's desire was to turn back the clock to better times in the past. Unfortunately, we know that's a clock that no one can ever turn back. What is sad and strange is that he wrote this song while he was at the mountain top of his career. He was wealthy, popular, famous, yet deep inside, empty. Empty. Paul believed in yesterday because this shadow of emptiness hovered over him. See, when you're in the yesterday, you look forward to the tomorrow. <coughs> when you're in the today, you look forward to the yesterday. Despite having everything, he was depressed. He had no true hope for the future. That is why he could not look forward to tomorrow or eternity. He was looking back to the past. And that's the hope of this world without Jesus Christ. No true hope when it comes to the future. A little over a month before he died, the famous atheist 
Jean-Paul Sartre declared that he so strongly resisted feelings of despair that he would say to himself, I know I shall die in hope. Then with a deep sadness he would add, but hope needs a foundation. Hope needs a foundation. He wasn't looking to Christ. He was looking to himself within and outside, but not up. And that's what the world does, puts their foundation in all wrong places. Self, money, power, and false religion. The Bible is very clear that all such hope is useless and will end in futility. Let me read a few verses so you realize this. I, I know I'm talking majority to believers here, but sometimes in the practical sense, we live like unbelievers. We know all these truths. Nothing I'm saying today is new to you because this message has been preached before. But in our practical lives, we seem to be running around so much as if our hope lies in this present world. Here are some verses. The hopes of the wicked come to nothing. Proverbs 10, 28. Those who trust in their riches will fall or hope in their riches will fall. Proverbs 11, verse 28. And Job says in Job 11, verse 20, this is what the New Living Translation renders it. But the wicked will be blinded. They will have no escape. Their only hope is death. Their only hope is death. But unlike people of the world, we believers have a different foundation for our hope is not based on earthly things or should not be based on earthly things. Let me clarify that statement, should not. Our foundation, our hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in Jesus' words, because I live, you will live also, John 14, verse 19. And that's why we say we look forward to the future. We look forward to our heavenly home with our Savior for the rest of eternity. It is that hope that we say our joy and peace rests on. It's that hope that helps us to face the various trials that we go through in life. If you're not going through trials now, you know if you're going to walk close to Christ, it will come. Maybe you're just coming out of a trial. You understand the significance of what God led you, why God led you through the trial to focus again and again, not on these earthly things, but back to the cross, back to the empty tomb, to be more specific. And I believe that's what the Lord Jesus Christ through His Spirit is teaching us through the pen of Peter in these verses. Notice Peter starts out with the, the words of praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise. Says God deserves all this praise. God deserves everything because why? He specifically praises God for this reason. In his great mercy. It refers to the fact that if God did not show mercy, we would never have salvation. In his mercy, his great mercy, he has given us this new birth. He is the one, 
that has caused us to be born again. He is the one. God who is rich in mercy, Paul says in Ephesians 2 verse 4. Micah 7.18, the prophet says, God delights in showing mercy. This is not grudging. This is not a, I got to give this mercy to them. No. I delight in giving this mercy to sinners. It is His mercy that not only keeps us from hell, but takes us into heaven. That's why Peter starts out by praising God for His mercy because with that, without that, we would not have this living hope. Notice that mercy goes into giving this living hope through the new birth. And that new birth, notice, is preparing us or leads us into this living hope. They're all connected. His great mercy is the cause that results in a new birth. And the new birth moves us into this realm of having a living hope. And all of that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Two blessings he's giving there here. If you look at if you look at the text closely, I want you to look at that living hope, and then I want you to trace it from that point on. So pay very close attention to what I'm going to read now. This new birth results in two blessings. Blessing number one, it results into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then look at the beginning of verse four. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Now, you might look at these two blessings as independent blessings, as independent, but the language has the idea that these are closely connected. These are very closely connected. This new birth results in to a living hope because of the resurrection of Christ from the dead and into this inheritance. The foundation of our living hope is based on the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And that inheritance also is a result of his resurrection. Now, what do believers typically hope for? Not something we possess right now. Because if we possess it already, we're not hoping for it. We already have it. So we're hoping for something that we don't have. And what is it we don't have? That inheritance, the fullness of salvation that we believers will experience in the future. It includes being with God, being fully transformed in the image of Christ, being free from sin, being free from sin. I cannot emphasize that. And then comes the being free from all suffering. It's even when it comes to heaven, we can be so self-centered. I'll be free from all my suffering. I'll be free from sin so that I can please my Savior. I'll be with Jesus. I'll be in His presence. That should be the foremost desire. But in order to gain that inheritance, we must be born again. Without the new birth, there is no hope of gaining this inheritance. Because without the new birth, we will die in our sins. And the only thing we can look forward to only thing we can look forward to, even though we don't want to talk about it, don't like to talk about it, is an eternal hell 
without Jesus Christ. Because we chose, we chose that. We chose that. Hell is a deliberate choice. It's a deliberate choice. So if you want to possess this inheritance, you want to make sure you don't die in your sins. You turn to Jesus Christ. You turn to Jesus Christ because he's the only one that has defeated death and the resurrection is the proof he did defeat death once and for all. It's very important. It's very important. The resurrection is a fact. It doesn't become a fact because we believe it. It doesn't become false because we refuse to believe it. It's like gravity. It's like gravity. Gravity exists. Whether I believe it or not. The resurrection is a fact. It's a fact. We're called to believe it. And then when we believe that, then we have this new hope. We have this new hope. And it's that living hope, Peter calls it as a living hope. It's that hope that encourages us to endure. Even when suffering, disappointment, discouragement hits us like waves over and over and over again. We hold on to the thought that the best is yet to come. Christian hope is not like the hope of the world. Our hope is a hope that is full of life and continues to grow more and more as we draw more and more closer to Christ. Worldly hope is very pessimistic, very negative, like the little boy who said, hope is wishing for something you know that is not going to happen. Talk about a pessimist there. Our hope is not like that. It's rooted in the character of this God who's given us this promise. God cannot lie. Titus 1, 2. God cannot lie. He rose, Jesus rose as he promised and will raise us as he promised. Notice the three characteristics of this inheritance, the remainder of verse 4 that Peter describes us. First of all, he says, it can never perish. The word has the idea that it is not subject to any form of destruction. Cannot. It cannot spoil. Means it is not subject to any form of contamination or stain. And then fade. It will not decay. You know, when you look at this, even the human body, when it's put in the grave, it decays. The corpse rots. It's not like that. All this, all these three terms that Peter uses mainly to tell us that this hope that you have, this inheritance is everlasting in nature. Worldly inheritances perish. It will leave you or you will leave it. That's a guarantee. One or the other. It cannot offer everlasting hope even if one has it in abundance. Sadly, still, we try to find satisfaction happiness in it. How much focus people have on earthly inheritances, earthly riches. It doesn't fill their heart with hope. Titus Salt was one such man, found this truth. He was inventor of silk cloth, like a silk, silk cloth called alpaca. And as a result, he became a multimillionaire extremely wealthy. In fact, he was so wealthy that Queen Victoria made him a baron. He thought, you know, my emptiness could be filled with all these things. 
but he found that nothing brought true satisfaction to his heart. So one day he was in church, was listening. The preacher, the preacher was talking about uh, his own experience. He was sitting in the garden. He was watching a caterpillar climbing a painted stick that was used for decoration. After reaching the top, the preacher said, the caterpillar would rear itself, weave its body in search of a juicy twig to feed upon. So he'll keep climbing, climbing. But when it goes up there, it was just a painted stick. He'll get disappointed, come down again. And found another painted stick. Do the same thing again. Go up, find it empty, come down. Go up, another one, find it empty, come down. And the preacher made the application. There are many painted sticks in the world. Pleasure, wealth, power and fame. All these call to men saying, climb me and find the desires of your heart. Fulfill the purpose of your existence. Taste the fruit of success and find satisfaction. But alas, they only find painted sticks. With food and clothing we shall be content. That's what the Bible reminds us. So Titus confessed that all his life he'd been climbing painted sticks. And though materially rich, spiritually he was a pauper without peace. And the preacher had the joy of leading him to Christ. To the one who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You didn't know I had that in the text, did you? Earlier when you were talking. That's the providence of God. That's the providence of God. Titus salt yielded to Christ, and for the first time in his life, found abiding joy and peace. He now was among the group that had this living hope about an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Because now he possessed a living hope. Living hope. How many painted sticks were climbing up and down? How many painted sticks right now you are climbing, thinking it will satisfy you? It's keeping you away from Jesus Christ. Allow the word to convict you. Repent where you need to repent. Peter continues to give two more truths about this inheritance that is the object of our living hope in the remainder of verse 4 and all of verse 5. Two, two more truths. Notice truth number one. He says this inheritance is kept by God for us. Kept by God for us. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. It's not reserved here on earth, but in heaven. And it's preserved by God himself. Jesus said in Matthew 6.20, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. He was telling the truth about the inheritance in heaven that can never be stolen by anybody. It is beyond all destructive forces. No power in the world is greater than God. And if God himself promises, I'm guarding this for you, Peter assures us by saying, don't worry about the struggles you're going through now. God's power is protecting your inheritance, which you will possess very shortly. Very, very shortly. And he gives on a second truth. The second truth is this. God's power keeps you safe for that inheritance. Notice that. Notice the text there. 
verse 5, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, one may say, I understand God is keeping me safe. God is keeping my inheritance safe in heaven. But what about me? I'm fickle-minded. I can lose salvation. I might not hold on to Christ. I might walk away. Again, look at the great God of ours and his great mercy. He's saying, you are being shielded by God's power. God keeps the inheritance for us. God keeps us for that inheritance. That, that's, that's amazing when you think about it. No wonder he began the good work. He will finish it. He will finish it. Peter, this is one of the strongest statements in the scripture that talks about the security of our salvation. The word shielded is a military term of guarding someone. It's not like the guarding of a prisoner condemned to death. It is a guarding of people in the city by the soldiers on the wall from the attacks of the enemy. So the people in the city can sleep safe. I know the guards are watching. They're protecting me. So it's that kind of a Assurance that gives that sleep. It's that kind of a word that is used here. You are shielded. You are protected. But then Peter adds this little phrase, through faith. Through faith. What does it mean? It means we play a part also. This calls for human responsibility. We're called to continue to live by this faith in holding on to Jesus who has promised this inheritance for us. The human element is always there. It is a God-given faith, but we're also called to exercise that faith more and more and more. Especially when we go through trials, is it worth it, Jesus, to follow you? A people who don't know you, everything is going well for them. And here am I. It's nothing but disappointment, nothing but trials, and this is a result of living for you. It's one thing if we are suffering for our sins. In, in a sense, we are, we are all sinners. We, there's an underlying factor there. But there are certain things. Jesus also says, you suffer for my name's sake. That makes it very hard. This was a hard thing to do, Lord, but I know you gave me the strength to do it because your word says so, but yet I'm getting backlash again and again and again. And what the Lord does is graciously reminds us, this is how life was for me. You're called to follow in my footsteps. Have you forgotten that? You know this is not when your vindication is going to come. Wait. Look at my hand in this trial. Behind the scenes, I'm orchestrating even this trial so that you will cling to me more and so that that inheritance becomes even more precious on the day when you experience attaining it fully. Continue to hold on to me. My spirit has not finished his work with you. Even in the midst of those trials, I'm building you up. I'm building you up. And that's how our faith grows stronger. Our faith, which is a God-given faith, is a faith that is continually empowered by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
points to there will come a time when we will no longer need faith or hope because everything becomes a reality. We will be with Jesus in heaven. At that time, no more need for faith, no more need for hope because faith becomes sight at that time. Even though we are saved now, as many blessings we receive, there's still the best to come. And if we have such a living hope while on earth, if we live with this kind of a hope, my inheritance is secure. I'm secure for that. If we live like that, the rest of the text Peter talks about, we'll have two blessings. Two blessings. Blessing number one, he talks about that in verses six, verse six and verses eight and nine. First of all, verse six, the blessing number one is this, we will experience joy even in the midst of trials. If you live with this hope, this living hope of my inheritance kept there, I'm kept here. You live with that kind of a mindset, blessing number one is joy even in the midst of trials. Peter does not promise that there will be no trials. All he says is there will be joy in the midst of trials. Look at verse 6 first of all. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. In all this refers to the living hope we have in the gaining of this marvelous inheritance. He's looking back. And then in the light of that, the light of that, I want you, I want you to know there can be joy even in the midst of trials. Come down to verses 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Salvation of your souls. The trials, he says, are for a little while. Verse 6. All kinds of trials. Every trial is different. And in our own lives, we don't get the same kind of trial all the time. It's different shades. James talks about that. Various trials. Different shades. You're going to be facing different kinds of trials. Each and every one of you. That tells us, don't look at others. Don't compare yourself with others. Your trial is your trial. Don't make it bigger than someone else. Don't minimize someone else's trials compared to yours. Oh, you're not going through what I'm going through. Don't. But each of us, the Bible says, are destined to go through trials because we follow Jesus Christ. But as I read earlier in John 20, verse 29, we don't see him yet, we believe. We believe that these trials are worth it. The persecuted believers to whom Peter wrote this, they didn't see Jesus in person. Yet by faith, they loved him. And that faith, Peter says, translates into joy because they believe Jesus rose from the dead and they've been given a new birth and they have this living hope. They have this living hope. And that living hope they knew will get them to that inheritance and they're kept safe even though they're being attacked for holding on to Jesus. They know. And that's why they could still have joy. See, their joy was not rooted in the present possessions. They were, everything was stripped from them. Everything was stripped from them. Yet they had the joy that people with all the riches don't have. A 
That's why you have Jesus, you have everything. You have Jesus and it all sums up, you have nothing. You really have nothing. It's not in my position. It's not in my power. It's not in the prestige. It's not in the money. It's my, not in my relationships. Nothing. Only one thing. Jesus Christ. And Him risen from the dead. They didn't see Him. They loved Him. They don't see Him yet, but they believe in Him. And as a result, this inexpressible joy. He, he, look at the words He describes it. It's inexpressible and it's glorious. That's the joy. It's a joy that you cannot express in words. You cannot express in words. And that's the joy that the enemy wants to steal from you and me. That's the joy. There's an old legend that tells of an angel was sent by God to inform Satan that all his methods to defeat Christians would be taken from him. It's a legend. Right? So, so the devil pleads and asks God, I just want to keep one in my arsenal. Just one. Take away everything. Just one. What's the one that God asks the angel, the, the devil? Uh, the devil says, let me retain depression. So the angel who's mediating between God and Satan says, just one, it's a small request. Okay, granted. And as soon as the angel left, Satan tells us, demons, good. In that one gift, I've secured it all. If I can get people to be discouraged and depressed, that's all I need. I'll get them to turn their backs on Jesus. In an out-of-print book about depression, the author Roger Barrett describes depression as a wretched experience that leaves you exhausted, uninvolved, and in deep, hopeless despair. You feel doomed, trapped. It's awful. If you've been there, you know. In every age, God's people have struggled with this crippling emotion. Remember Elijah's cry? It is enough now, Lord, take my life. Take my life. First Kings 19 and verse 14. Others like Job, David, and so many of the psalmists, they knew, they experienced agony of soul, but they emerged from it with stronger faith because they believed in the one who has promised an eternal inheritance. Depression can be rooted in spiritual, mental or even physical causes and we should not be afraid to seek godly counsel and medical help where needed. And Satan would love to defeat us by keeping us in that hope-starved condition. That's why we need to see the ultimate help. Ultimate help. God can use means but the ultimate help is in God. Is in God and God alone. And he longs to shine his light through the dark clouds that surround us. He is the God of hope. The God who gives hope. Romans 15. And when we live by this hope, this living hope, we will have joy and not let depression have the last word. So blessing number one 
of having this living hope may experience joy even in the midst of trials. Blessing number two that we experience when we have this living hope is verse seven. We can have assurance that we are truly God's children. Look at verse seven. These have come, meaning these trials, picking up from verse six, so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You will have that ultimate vindication your faith is genuine then, but by sticking to Jesus even now, holding on to him, holding on to this living hope that comes because of his resurrection, you have the assurance your faith is genuine. Gold goes through fire so that it can be purified. And in the same way, believers go through trials Trials is a purification process. The pruning, Jesus talked about in John 15. Pruning hurts. You, you want to cut something out of your body that's not good for you, it hurts. Or you can numb the pain. It's only for a certain while. But there's pain involved with that, but that's for our ultimate good. So these trials strip us mainly of us. When you think about it, strips us because we are so reliant on us. Thanks to Adam. We are so confident in our own strength. When all else fails, it's time to pray. It's time to call the pastor. We've tried just about everything. Nothing works. We'll tell the leaders of the church. Prayer is the first, the middle, and the last. But through those prayers, God helps us to endure and convinces us. It's a gift from God to know my faith is genuine because I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to find out on that day when I stand before Jesus Christ, depart from me. I never knew you. So in one sense, trials have that cleansing, redeeming, purifying effect which strengthens our hope and we have that assurance. True believers persevere. False, fall away. Because they were following Jesus for all the wrong reasons. True believers know all this is just moving me more and more closer to Jesus and more and more to that day when I will be with Him. And when you have that kind of an assurance, you will press on faithfully. Even when things fall apart, even more, the Holy Spirit will help you to keep clinging to Jesus. Even if the world hates you, even if the family rejects you, you know deep inside the one person who is the ultimate determiner of my destiny has accepted me. And the proof is the resurrection of his son. I'm banking everything on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm accepted in his son. I have that assurance. So, two wonderful blessings. Joy in the midst of trials and assurance that I am his because of this living hope. All this comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't need to live thinking of good old yesterdays like the Beatles song. We can live in hope 
One sense the hope we look back at the resurrection, but that resurrection drives us to hope in the future. That resurrection is for this, so that we will be with him, so that we will be with him, enjoying all that inheritance. That's the kind of living hope believers should have as we journey through this pilgrimage. Just passing through. Just passing through. Let me close with this story of, it's a true story of a suffering believer. A young lady. A young lady. This is, this is the true, true story. I, I, I hope this testimony of hers, this faith of hers will uh, encourage us to live in hope even in the midst of great trials. She was diagnosed with a terminal illness, this young lady. Name is unknown. She was given only three months to live. So she was trying to put her life in order, get everything in order. And uh, she invited the pastor to her home, how to conduct the funeral and what she would like and the different aspects. She told him what songs need to be sung and uh, what scriptures she would like to be read and um, the way she wanted to be clothed while she was in the casket. Everything was in order uh, as, as the pastor was getting ready to leave. So uh, she said, oh, just one more thing. She said with great excitement. What's that? The pastor turned and asked her. She said, this is very important. You can forget everything else, but you cannot forget this. Just, what is that? I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. A fork in my right hand. He looked at her. He didn't ask her. I didn't think so. But she saw the puzzled look in his face. So she asked him, You're curious, aren't you? She says, Yeah, what, what's the significance of this? I am puzzled, he says. So the young you want to respond. This was these were her words. My grandmother once told me the story, and from that time on, I've always tried to pass along its message to those I love and those who are in need of encouragement. And I picked up that those who are in need of encouragement to use this for those of you who are in need of that today or who will be in need of it in the coming days. The lady went on, the young lady went on to say this. In all my years of attending socials and dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep dish apple pie. <laughs> something wonderful and with substance. So I just want people to see me there in that casket with the fork in my hand and I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. The pastor did what she asked. The pastor did what she asked. She was right, wasn't she? For believers in Jesus Christ, the best is yet to come. But if we live like as if the best is here, isn't that a contradiction to what we profess with our mouth? Examine your life. Christians, I'm talking to you. Examine your life. What are you really running after? It's not with your mouth. It's not to convince anyone. We are good in saying the right words to others. Good in putting on a show. But deep inside, we have the agenda 
of pursuing what we think will be the best for us. If that's the case, you need to ask yourself, am I really born again? Have I really experienced his great mercy? Is that inheritance really kept for me and I'm kept for that inheritance? Or am I kept for something else? Eternal destruction. Only you can answer this for yourself. But if you're clinging to this Jesus Christ, really saying, everything I lay on the altar, my job, my riches, my relationships, my health, my wealth, everything is on the altar as a burnt offering. He can consume it whenever he wants. It's a pleasing aroma to him. I'm laying it all there. I'm just a steward. I'm not here to promote myself. I'm here to promote Jesus Christ. That's the hope. That's the real hope. And you can confidently say the best is yet to come. And if you're not there yet, if you're still struggling, is Jesus Christ real? I tell you, Jesus Christ is real. Seek him. This is God's love letter to you. Read the book. One book. God's put his thought and plans here. Pick up the Bible. Read it. Take one of the church Bibles. It's free of charge. We don't charge for our resources. Years ago, someone left a Bible outside my doorstep in Texas. To this day, I don't know who. I picked up the Bible, kept it for two years. Didn't even crack it open. God brought me down to my knees, had me open that Bible. And I'm here today as a result of the Word of God. Pick up the Bible. God will speak to you. You speak to God. Share with Him all your doubts, all your anxieties, all your questions, everything. But at the end of the day, understand it is faith. Not a blind faith, faith based on a person who lived, who died, who rose again, and who will return. Do you want to meet Jesus as your judge or as your savior? If you want to meet him as your savior, bow your knee to him today. With all your doubts, with all your sins, with all your baggage, come. Don't think I need to clean up and come. Come. He will clean you up. Come. Don't delay. Don't delay. The best is yet to come. For Jesus, strengthen our hope, this living hope that you've given to us through your resurrection so that we will experience joy even in the midst of trials and have this assurance all will be well because we belong to you. Please work these truths in every heart as appropriately as the needs are. Thank you. Thank you for the living hope we have. In your name we pray. Amen.